The Game Schooler podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, is a weekly audio show that educates new and experienced gamers about the awesomeness of tabletop gaming. In this week's episode, we'll cover two Amigo card games, our games of the week, discuss useless parts of the hobby in the school of gaming, and wrap it up with our high five games with mundane themes that work. Welcome to the Game Schooler Podcast. I'm your host, Doug Kotecki, along with my co-host, the esteemed Dr. Michael McCabe. How's it going, What's Michael? What's happening, Doug? I'm doing pretty good. How about you? Good. Yeah. No, I'm excited to talk board games and game schooling and just a lot of good action uh, happening. This is going to be a hot episode. Yeah. There, there may be some controversy. Who knows? That's okay. I just hope we don't arm wrestle or have to, you know, Jimmy Fly Sook. Tussle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're I, I would lose. Your wrestling knowledge certainly exceeds mine. We're going to have a townsfolk tussle. Uh, um, there is a lot of follow-up from last week, uh, especially over on the Discord server, uh, which you can find at gameschooler.com slash Discord. A great community there, always talking. I love hearing the conversations. And there there has been some things that have been brought up since our last episode that I kind of wanted to cover. One, uh, last week I talked about Awesome in Gaming was the folded space inserts. Yep. Uh, Sean pointed out that another benefit of those is they don't add a ton of weight to the box. Great ad. So there are some inserts that you can get second mark, secondary market that are made out of wood and all this, like makes your game very heavy, 20 pounds. It's like an heirloom addition for an insert. When you have to reinforce the corners, (laughs) I'm not sure that the insert is worth it at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that, I thought that was a great point. Uh, there was some discussion there about, uh, new printings and yep. when or if if folks are getting that. Um, I also enjoyed the discussion about when to not buy every single hobby game at your thrift store. I was I just, thought, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Sorry, did I steal your thunder? No, that, that yeah, was yeah. another one that I was going to say is the idea of... Um, the idea of getting games just for the sake of deals, like, yeah. and people, I think when people get into the hobby originally, that is a thing like, oh, this game is $5 and it's normally 20 and you you buy it and it's like... But I don't want to play it. Like, it's not just when people get into the hobby. I I, I can yeah, fall into that trap. Yeah, yeah. I'm walking, you can do once in a while. Walking no? by the clearance section <laughs> yeah. at Tart. Well, this is yeah. uh, this is a steal here. So there's some good discussion as as people continue to explore the Willy Wonka of of Goodwills around the country that are nowhere near ours. Not in southern Wisconsin, Doug. Um, and then another cool thing we were talking about deducto last week. And there was a, a conversation about, you know, it being difficult to hold the cards and that game right does indeed have a card holder for little hands. Nice. Um, it's kind of, it almost looks like a, a fan yeah, uh, that you would uh, fan yourself with. And then the cards slide in there like there's little sleeves. So for children or if you have the Junior Whopper hands from the Burger King commercial, yeah. it'll work for <laughs> yeah. both, right? Yeah. yeah. Or if you have, uh, you're playing a game with, the, with 800 miniature Hobbit cards, like if you're in the original <laughs> Ticket to Ride, uh, that might work. Uh, and then like a cheap alternative of uh, just taking a scrap piece of wood and kind of cutting some grooves in it as a, a 
something to put on the table that you can hold your cards with. And I mean, a long time ago for Mexican train, we had, my family had gotten little dividers to kind of hold those up and something like that would work as well. So I thought that was a great recommendation. So there's a, you know, four or five different things that are going on in the discord that people are talking about that all in the uh, last week too. Yeah. So just very active and, and, and love hearing the stuff that they've got over there. Yeah, that's great. Uh, the other thing from the, just to follow up and I will be closing out my third series of, of what I played at the local game convention here, game Holcon. you know, somebody wants to get together and play hegemony at, at noble night on a Sunday. I was like, that's great. So those are the other pieces too. It, it, it's it's great to connect virtually, but I do think that over time it will also be a place where, as people travel to conventions, uh, people can get together to play games, which yeah. is kind of cool. Yeah, um, this is kind of in the follow up and and the idea of of news, but I'm gonna throw this out there in the next couple of weeks. I think maybe two or three episodes from now. Michael and I are going to be starting our top 50 family games of all time. Uh, So we're going to go through that list and it's going to be like the last five episodes of the year. So we're going to kind of wind down and uh, give ourselves some breathing room, but we are going to have an episode coming out every week, but we're going to go by 10 and count down our top 50 family games of all time. We've run it through a whole rubric and and a lot of conversations to try and narrow that list down almost a year in the making and we put a ton of work on it when we went to gen con yeah we, we had about 10 hours of car time over those four days and and did really put some work into it and we've refined it over the last few months and, and i'm looking forward to that and so that you think that that's Roughly around episode 145 or 146 ish, probably 146. I think, I think 147. What do we have? 40. Okay. 146 or 147 will be starting, but we'll keep you updated I as we go. I think it's going to be 147. Just making a bold <laughs> prediction by the spreadsheet in front of me. Um, so we'll have those coming out towards the end of the year and, and take you through the new year as, like I said, Michael and I kind of recharge our batteries and get some more games to the table and. Uh, as the holidays creep up, but we want to keep the content, you know, flowing. Keep so, flowing. so we're not missing an episode, but we will be highlighting that. And what what better uh, group of fellows to bring you the top fifty family games of all time than the Game Schooler podcast? Right? I don't know about that, but we're going to try. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, all right, what's uh, what else is new? What's awesome? Yeah, uh, what else is new? I had a mini convention with my seven-year-old over the weekend. It was incredible to the point where my my ten-year-old and and fourteen-year-old were. You guys are still playing games. My wife left town for the weekend, and Eliza, who will be turning eight here in a few weeks, we played about two to three hours of games on Friday night. Hegemony. We did not get to Hegemony. <laughs> uh, we played a ton of different games, and I don't want to miss all the titles, but we did get My Shelfie to the table. That one didn't make it until Saturday. That's a Phil Walker-Harding-Matthew Dunstan uh, collab that has a nice little Connect Four mechanic where you're cleaning up um, you know, books and games and, and putting them into a pattern. Uh, and, and I was surprised with how she picked that up. We played Pick a Pepper. Uh, which is an Amigo card game, which we won't be covering tonight, but we had a lot of fun. And then we played a ton 
of Reiner Knizia's Ninja Master. Okay. <laughs> um, so just some new games that have been on the shelf that we wanted to play, and that when you're chucking dice and you, one person looks like they're a, a ninja, so they're pointing a, a finger in the air, and then you get to pick an item with your left finger and pick an item with your right finger, and you have to go right away. And I loved it. She loved it. The board game world, not so much. Tom Vassell, <laughs> I think, gave it like a three, but Mike Delisio really liked it. So it's interesting to see where you see some people really enjoy it and some people really hate it. And I didn't know anything about that until after we had played it. I yeah. went out there and searching. I was like, I wonder, I'm, I'm thinking this might not be Dr. Knizia's highest regarded game. Well, but- is that one of those that that falls under the, the trap of it's a fun game, but because it's fun... It doesn't meet the high-quality credentials of, of serious gamers. Yes, there are words like random oh, and, gosh. and activity. Oh, <laughs> so I'm going to have to bleep but, those, Michael. Hold on. We had a blast, Doug, yeah. and, and I'll, I'll bring it over. It's one that you'll people will hear me talk about go, because it's not going anywhere. It's staying in our house, and she house-ruled a few different things when she yeah. was showing my wife how to play it last time. I was like, that's not the actual rules. Well, that's how I want to play. Yeah, <laughs> and, I think it would be funny if I start bleeping out certain words that are that are frowned upon in the, the gaming in the community. Oh, you're getting warmed up for the school of gaming. I love <laughs> it. Uh, and then we played a ton of other games that we've discussed at length here um, yeah. from Phil Walker Harding and Dr. Knizia. So uh, a lot of games, 20 games played wow. with Eliza on Friday like, and not, Saturday. Not 20 different games, just 20 games played. No, 20 different games played Friday and Saturday. Like different titles? Or the number of um, games that when were we played. get a break, I'll, I'll look more. I just know that she won thirteen out of twenty games. Okay, so you um, played twenty different games, not necessarily twenty different titles. I believe we played twenty different titles, but I will have to look when we take a break. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I- Impact. No mercy. Yummy picnic world. Ninja master. Deducto. Uh, my shelfie. It was it was a smorgasbord of games. Okay. So that was a lot of fun. Speaking of smorgasbord of games, tell me about uh, Game 3 at yeah, Day, day three, 3 at Game Hole Con. Of Game Hole Con was incredible. It started out with I had registered for two games, and then I left the rest of the day open. Uh, and I knew that I was going to go home and pick up my kiddo who was sleeping in. Um, surprisingly, she was still asleep at 2 p.m., so anyone mm. who has a teenager knows what that's like on a Saturday. Well, you can me, you can't be or ready my at mother-in-law. She's the <laughs> really, same way, yeah. Really, yeah. nice. She Way sleeps to sleep. like a teenager. Get your, get your sleep. That's great. <laughs> but the day started off with a, a, a really I, – I almost gave it away there. Um, played a four-player game of Dawn of Ulos, and it was a game that we had played it as a game group, but I actually – I wanted it to be taught to me by the publishing company – and play a full four-player game. Uh, Dawn of Ulos is a game where it's set in the Ulos universe, which anyone who has role-player or role-player adventures or cartographers will know. Um, and I, I had a blast playing it. I'll, I'll just cut right to the chase. The The teach took about a half hour. It was a two-hour signed up. I signed up for two hours, and I was back-to-back. So yeah. I knew it was going to be tight to finish, especially one person was a little late getting to the table. Um, but, but in Dawn of Ulos, you are playing as a God and you are trying to control the fates of the armies. That's the, the loose theme. Uh, but the big thing to just take away from that, you're not controlling one army. You are trying to control all of the armies. And on your turn, you are playing out this two piece, uh, is it hexagonal figure on a map? A a double hex. Double hex. Yeah. Yeah. And it has a combo of like mountain, desert, 
um, water, water, mountain water, and I don't remember what the fourth Almost one is. Almost the, the equivalent of like a fancy domino. Yeah. You, you know, with a, ter- a terrain on each side of the, the domino. And then you're, you're also, you have a cards of different factions, and there's several different ones in your hand that represent these different armies. And, and you can play the card to to trigger the ability on the card, or you can buy more of that army and get it in your card. And the value is going up and down. And when you play a domino, it can trigger a battle. Um, again, this is a, a, why I wanted to play the game again. I've heard when the Kickstarter was fulfilled a few months ago, I heard a lot of different reviews, and they just weren't how I felt about the game. So I was selfishly wanting to play the game to rule it in and rule it out of my collection and see yeah. if I want to come back to it. And I, I just had had a blast. It was, um, it helped that I'd played it with my game group before, so I knew the rules a l- little yeah. bit better than other people at the table. So I, I wanted to play it, play it hard, and try to win. Um, and I had a lot of fun with it. Yeah, it's a th- it's a fantasy theme, but at its core, it's a very economic, yep. um, almost like a real estate game in which you're acquiring more territory and you want to have ownership in the most valuable properties yeah uh type of thing but it it is under the guise of that that ulos universe with fantasy abilities and and things of that nature so uh it's kind of a weird dynamic i think i i wonder if that's one of the things where some of the the reviews or or i don't want to say complaints on it where was that it's almost mixing genres too much that that the people that want the economic game don't necessarily want the fantasy theme and people that want the fantasy theme don't want an economic game. And I want it all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I, so maybe I am that target market. I, I really enjoyed it. I did pick up a copy, um, got the nice little, I don't what do they call them? Mini expansions that Thunderworks provides. Sure. Uh, with the beautiful metal tokens, uh, a friend of ours designed the insert. So that, that's one that I was glad to, Take home. I don't know how often I'll get to the table. It might only get to the table when I go back to conventions, but that's yeah. one that I like to play, and I will probably run in the future at at conventions. And yeah, I think like it's that. one that I would enjoy. I I enjoyed my play of it. It's not uh, it's not that I didn't necessarily not like it. Yeah, but I think I actually would like it more as corporate mergers and and not in a fantasy realm yeah um i w- it would appeal to me and probably would have a better chance of getting on my shelf if it was uh the theming was different that's interesting i love triggering a battle with the rats against the orcs <laughs> that was, yeah. yeah no good uh, so that's where my day started and then i played shadows over camelot for anyone who's played that we had a uh, seven players at the table and um, do it. Should I just get right to the tra- chase about, I mean, yeah, well, Shadows Over Camelot is a, a cooperative game with a trader mechanism. And essentially the mechanisms of the game are fairly simple of, of you have to do bad on your turn and you get to play card down and you're essentially kind of making poker hands and sets and runs and things like that in order to, to solve the battles. So the, the actual gameplay is pretty, basic there's yeah, not play a you, card and move on yep. you know by by modern gaming standards it's um not what you would expect from a, a game coming out now uh, but a majority in my opinion a majority of the fun comes in from the idea of because the game is so simple wondering if there's a trader is where a lot of the, the social and I don't fun think we comes. talked about that so yeah. there's the possibility that there is a trader in the group 
And so in a seven-player game, there is an 87.5% chance that there's a trader. We just happen to not have a trader in our game. Yeah. I still had a lot of fun. It's one that I really want to play with with you and with other friends. I know you have a copy of it. it it's out of print right now. The, yeah. I, I probably will never have that game in my collection because yeah. I'm not going to pay you know 200 bucks because if I get it, I'm going to want the Merlin expansion and everything. I know how I am. So I will <laughs> gladly play other people's copies. It's one that... Um, I would have liked more time. We had two hours slotted for it. Uh, six of the seven people at the table were learning it for the first time. I did. I didn't know any of the rules. I went in cold because sure. of all the other games that I was teaching yeah. and learning, and I signed up to play. So I figured, hey, if I'm going to pay four bucks to play it, I'll get it taught to me. And what I liked about it, um, as you move around to achieve different quests to try to get knight uh, swords to the round table because you are successful if you're not the trader. If you have more uh, of the light swords at the round table, majority of. I really liked the cooperative team building aspect with only being able to throw down one card at a time. I liked the movement. It didn't feel like there was a chance for alpha gaming um, I was also playing with a very different game group. You know, mm. people were using language that we don't use at our table. And like, it, please and thank you. No, like, <laughs> we're not going to relitigate that again. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it was like, oh, okay, I guess we are moving on. Yeah. Um, so that was a fun experience. Um, I Just two other games I want to mention briefly. But I, for any folks that are in the Midwestern United States, you know, GameholeCon sent out a wrap-up email where they reported that they had 6,000 um, unique tickets. And I just thought, boy, that's incredible. And they did a lot for, for giveaways of, um, it said we knows over 6,000 unique attendees for Gamehole Con X. Wow. So I don't know if my four day pass means th- that, that count four times, but the way that I read that it didn't, Yeah. you know, so that, that was a nice little size of a convention. Um, and because of that, you know, I've been mentioning last two weeks, I made new friends, but I got to play root I got um, with people that I had met in Hegemony the the day before, and um, I played. So I just sorry, I have to interrupt you. I'm go sorry. Ahead, go ahead, yeah. But I, I what did I say wrong? Nothing. I was pretty confident. I was. I'm looking through our Discord right now. So yeah. you just talked about uh, Shadows of Camelot being hard out of print and hard to get. Oh no, and, I know. I and, go share and, with our listeners. This yeah. is what we're talking about. And, Who found it at Goodwill like a month ago? Yeah, Annabelle found it at Goodwill for four dollars. Annabelle, I am going to book a plane ticket to wherever. <laughs> Doug and I are going to that Goodwill tomorrow morning. I'm I'm, I'm calling into work. Yeah, taking vacation. So, Doug. Uh, I just when when you said that it's like hard to get. I'm like, didn't somebody in the Discord find that at a Goodwill? Um, yeah. So yeah, sorry, sorry no, to interrupt you in. there. Great cut in. No, because I was about to shift to a very different game. Uh, Root is a game that. Um, you know, you're a woodland creature, but it is war. You are, you are <laughs> battling, and there's a it's a complex hobby game where each character has its own set of rules. And I know the four base characters pretty well. Well, in this game of Root, I did not get a base character. I got an expansion character that I had no idea how to play with, and I got completely trounced. That game is, at its core, it's a race to 30, and so you're trying to move ahead with whatever your win conditions are to stack points. And I just got beat into the ground and had a fun time doing it. So much fun, in fact, that I have recently acquired through trade and negotiation uh, a few of the expansions so that I could be prepared for the next time that I play. It's one that I had on my four trade shelf for a long time because I just couldn't get it to the table. 
was able to get at the table with some family and then able to play it again at a convention. And, and yeah, you don't need to own every game. It's one that I don't know if I'll have in my collection in two to three years, uh, but it's one that I do enjoy playing. Yeah. Uh, so that was a lot of fun. And then I ended my convention with um, Sid Real Confluence, which I, it's very difficult to explain. <laughs> what I will say is it was one of the most fun gaming experiences I've ever had. There's two main phases in it. There is an, uh, a bartering, a trading phase where you are trading to essentially run your machine, I'm just going to call it. You have a series of cards in front of you that after the trading phase is closed, you're going to run your different machine and you have planets. And, and I'm not really doing the game justice with an explanation because as I started putting these notes together, I was like, I can talk about it for 15 minutes or I can talk about it for 150 seconds. I'm going for the 150 seconds. It is a game that has a four player minimum. And I think it runs mm -hmm. like up to seven, eight or nine players. We played at seven and it was smooth. And I thought for day three, a four hour game that could go really long. I wanted to run it back and play it again. It was so much fun. The person who ran it uh, was just very easygoing and had the heart of a teacher and got us all started up and playing. Um, and, and it just, it, it worked. I don't think I could get people over to my house and have a good time with this and yeah. say, hey, we're going to play this this game. It, it's going to take two to three hours to play it. But in the convention, in that room where other strategy games were playing, um, it, it just really, really worked. And I'm glad I got to play it. It's one that I may not get played for a few more years, but if I see that a game of it's going on, if someone needs a player, I'll sit down and play. I just enjoyed the bartering and the trading and then trying to run, run my machine. And then the only real rule with the trading is the, uh, the agreements are final. If you make an agreement like, yes, I'll make this trade with you, but then you're going to have to give me one blue cube for the rest of the game. Well, no, I can't agree to that or yes, I will, then you, you're, you're locked into that agreement. So I could see how that game could get very mean. Uh, ours did not. It was just, yeah. just a lot of fun. Um, the only thing to note about that, if, if we do have listeners who are interested or who've heard about it, you know, if you listen to Board Game Barrage or other board game podcasts where they talk about it a lot, every character in that is different similarly to root mm. so just know your character when you're going in and if you're playing for the first time ask for five minutes to learn your character um so that that was that was my convention in in uh over three days and i cannot wait to get back uh next year to game holcon well i think you know what you've talked about and shared over the 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 days that you spent at game holcon and is the idea that a lot of people have talked about in the past and i think is a great concept for uh, our audience and, and game schoolers in general is the idea of having some games that are convention games. Yeah, You don't need to own those. Maybe the time you play those is once a year at the same convention, you go back and I'm going to play these five games and they're four hours long and I'm never going to play them with my game group Yep, and I don't need to own them and I'm going to go there and I'm going to have a good time and that's what I do. And that's 25 to 30 additional dollars out of my pocket on top of the badge. But guess what? I just saved myself Three hundred to eighty thousand yeah. <laughs> dollars. You know yeah, I mean? Depending like, on the Kickstarter, if you look at the cost, yeah. And and I'm not trying to take money away from any conventions, but I don't need to get on a plane and go to Dallas and go to BGG Con. I don't need to get on a plane to go to a cruise. Yeah. Okay? There are so many regional. 
this is a midsize regional convention. They're yeah. they're in nearly every state in the country. Yeah. So I, I thanks for giving me the space to share that. Um, and it was it was a really good time. Yeah, and I just I think that's very important to you know as as we are inundated with this is new, this is great. Try this out. You need to get this, or you're going to miss out forever. That these conventions are great places to try stuff out and. And to play games that you really love, yeah. but that doesn't mean it needs mean it needs to be on your shelf either. Or, or those can be two separate things. I can love a game. I also don't need to own it. Yes, and I don't need to try to convince the people in my game group <laughs> or my that family, <laughs> yeah, to to play it. it yeah. It's almost like okay, this is slotted in. I'll play it down the road. You know, when the Shadows of Camelot published, how old is that? That's coming up on twenty years. Dawn of Ulos was released this year. Root is is five plus years old. Sidreal Confluence is 2015 or 2017 ish. So the other thing that I'm saying is, if if it's a great game, people are going to be playing it. Yeah, 2005. 2005. You know? out, yeah. So no, none of those are on the hotness now, or have been in the last year. But they're they're if they're great games, they'll, you'll get them played. So yeah, if yeah, people will pl- be playing. Any game you can you can think of uh, at some of these conventions. So, all right. Well, that is, I think, going to wrap it up. And just remind you to check out the Discord. Um, not wrapping up the episode, just this segment, folks. <laughs> the um, the Discord. You can sign up for that gameschooler.com slash Discord. Spread the word about the podcast if you like what we're doing. That really helps us a lot, and we appreciate it. Um, and contact us with questions or comments if you'd like. Email at gameschooler.com. Uh, we love hearing from folks and uh, either suggestions on on new segments or School of Gaming segments, things like that. Uh, we really appreciate that. So reach out, email at gameschooler.com uh, and, and Discord, another place to ask questions. If you've got a question on a, a, what game you should try out next or if anybody else has played this game, what did they think? Uh, a lot of those questions happen over there. So with that out of the way, let's move on to the games. Of the week. The game of the week. The game of the week is an in depth look at a family friendly game we think you should try if you get the chance. This week it's a twofer. We're bringing you Amigo Part Card Games Part <laughs> One. Part Doug? One. Give us the stats. All right. Well, we're going to be talking about two card games from Amigo, and I'll kind of run down uh, the... Should we just take these one game one game at yeah, a time? let's go one at so a time. So we're going to be talking about Take 5 and No Thanks, both uh, card games from Amigo. We'll start with uh, Take 5 and then and move on to No Thanks. Um, so Take 5 was published in 1994, and the designer is Wolfgang Kramer, it plays two to ten players, takes about 45 minutes. I'm going to say it's probably a little bit less, maybe 45 yeah. if you've got that full ten-player max. Uh, but usually it moves along pretty quickly. That'd be insane. Um, uh, they say eight-plus, and this was a Spiel des Jahres recommended game in 1994. Congratulations. Take five. Uh, to play the game, you shuffle the 104 number cards. So there are cards numbered 1 to 104. And you lay out four cards face up to start four rows in a column. Then you're going to deal 10 cards to each player. And then each turn, players are simultaneously going to choose one of their cards and reveal that card from their hand. 
So everybody's flipping their cards out at the same time. Then in ascending order, players are going to place the card in the row that is below but closest to the number that they played. Great so, description. So if I've played a five and there happens to be a three out there, that's probably the row I'm going to play it on. Unless there happens to be a four, um, I would play it on the four. It's the closest one in ascending order. Um, and then if Michael played an, uh, a 10, he would be playing af his card after mine. Okay, so that's how the, the cards are kind of played. They're placed in ascending order based on their number. Each card is placed in the row that ends with the highest number that's below the card's number. Now, when a sixth card is placed in a row, the owner of that card claims the other five cards in there, and the sixth card becomes the first card in the new row. And cards are bad. Cards are bad, and each card has a... Uh, another point value on it. So you're not scoring the, the the number of the card. So if I if I get the 18 card, I'm not losing 18 points. Um, that may have one, uh, basically one to five bulls on it. Yeah. And that card is going to be worth that many points. So I think the fives and the tens are usually the, the five bull cards um, that you don't, that are really bad. Um, and if you happen to play a card that is lower then any of the the numbers at the front of each row, you're going to take one of those rows and take all of the cards in there, and that lowest card is going to be the new card. So that can potentially screw some players up, or uh, you can take something and kind of mitigate some damage um, by doing that and kind of taking something early and kind of resetting a row um, so there's a lot of interesting strategy as the game goes on. Um, what do you, do you want to talk about what you like? Cause they're both, they're, they're similar, but I, Let, let's keep going with take five just for another minute. Then yeah. we can jump into no thanks. So the I, things, things that I like about this are also the same things I like about no thanks. Then jump into no thanks and so, start, start juxtaposing the two against each um, other. So no thanks um, published 10 years after take five. Um, with the designer Thorsten Gimler, plays three to seven players, about no relation. 20 minutes, um, eight plus. And this was a 2005 Spiel des Jahres recommended. So uh, well-regarded card games here. Call to the new here at yeah. the Game Schooler podcast. <laughs> yeah. Just to our listeners who, especially listeners abroad, Take 5 also has another name that it's very well known by. So I just wanted to mention that before we moved into No Thanks. Six Nymphed, right? Yes. Yep. And uh, yeah, there's and, a there's a lot of different <laughs> different things and add-ons and, and yep. things like that. And I was looking at Linko today, and that's based off of another German name that I won't try to, try to pronounce. Um, but No Thanks, each turn players have two options. They can play one of their chips to avoid picking up the current face-up card or pick up the face-up card along with any chips that have already been played on the card. So that's all you do every turn. Um, and then you're going to turn over the next card in the deck. And players are competing to have the lowest score at the end of the game. And the deck of cards is numbered from 3 to 35, with each card counting for the number of points equal to its face value. So a five is going to be worth five points. A, a 10 is 10 points at the end of the game. And you want to have the lowest score uh, similar to take five. Um, however, runs of two or more cards only count as the lowest value in the run. 
So if I have a seven, eight, nine, ten, I'm going to get seven, seven points yep. for that set of cards. But if I have a seven and an eight, and then I skip the ten, and I've got an eleven and a twelve, Ooh, I'm going to score Doug. seven and, and 11. the eleven. Yeah, uh, eighteen, the, Doug. Yeah. the The tricky part is that nine cards are removed from the deck before starting the game, and you don't know which ones they are. Exactly. So be careful looking out for connections. Um, and then at the end of the game, each chip is worth minus one point. Um, so it's interesting because that's good. So yeah. each chip that you have at the end reduces a point. Can reduce uh, your take, score. Takes a card out. And so it's one yeah. of those things where you want to have the flexibility to uh, to have those chips to keep from taking the cards that you don't want. So you kind of want to have a little economy going because if you run out of chips, you're just taking cards, which could just be gobs and gobs of points. However, there is a little bit of a strategy of this is a card that is perfect for me, Yep. but it's a very high score for everybody else. And I'm going to see how long I can let this go around the table accumulating chips before I actually actually take it. So there's a little bit of push your luck and, and strategy on that. So that's the two games um, again, both games are, are card games. They're going to take 20 to 30 minutes each. They are easy to teach to people, easy to get started up, easy to put away. Exactly. It's especially no thanks and affordable. Um, yeah. no thanks today on Amazon is nine ninety nine. That that's pretty darn good. Um, what, what do you like about the games, Doug? I think the idea of the, the ability to set up and go. Um, and, and start playing and, and the teach being minimal. Um, both of these games have no, um, player count variations. So there's no, Oh, how many people do I have? Oh, four cards. All right. That means I got to take these cards out. Like that never changes. And that simple thing, um, just allows you to get up and going faster you know, and, and starting to play the game, which I, I obviously love. The other thing is that even though these games are simple to teach, there's really interesting depth and strategy yeah. that comes out. The decisions in the, the game are more, awesome. The more you play it and you start to see little wrinkles and where you can catch people off guard and, and what you need to be paying attention to that are not apparent on the very first playing. And I think that's one of the reasons that these games that, that, that were published almost 30 and 20 years ago are still relevant yep. and enjoyable uh, this far along. Uh, and and I, I think here too, the, the idea is that you don't, this, these games are proof that you don't need a giant box of deluxe to have a great experience. Although you could play with deluxe poker chips if you wanted to. You could. Yeah. yeah. But I think, I, I, I don't know in our 143, Three? Where am I? 144 episodes. If I've accused you of being dishonest or uh -oh. um, omitting part of what you enjoy about it, but can you also confirm part of what you enjoy about these games is absolutely crushing them to people the first time they play them, or when you play against your children? Well, naturally, <laughs> yeah. No, the that's one thing that I like about No Thanks and Take Five is that. You can play all the way out. You yeah. don't have to nerf any part of it. I'm going to teach you how this works, and I'm going to do my best to try to beat you. And the, the scoring is fairly tight, yeah. right? And that unknown element of no thanks. Of I don't know which cards aren't in there. 
There, yeah. There's eight or nine. Well, how many are nine? Taken? Are, nine are taken yeah. out. Nine are taken out. So I don't know. And, and, and that is a leveler for first time players and seasoned veterans of no thanks. If people have been playing it since it first came out, right? Yeah. I really like that about both of the both of the games. You can you can uh, a a beginner can play with a veteran. The veteran can still go after it. Yeah. I, I like that. Yeah. And I think the the idea of the the flexible player counts, obviously the one goes up to 10, one goes up to seven. So if you've got, five, you know, a, a family of five can play this game. Yep. No problem with no adjustments. Um, what's that? I almost called out your neighbors who live down the street. The, oh, they, a family the whole, of 10? family of 10 can play too. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um if if you're YouTubers and you're looking for something to do as a whole family, you could you could play it. Yeah, I think, you know, and the 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 big skill that pops up in this game is is risk management, um, and a game in which players must identify, evaluate, and prioritize option to reduce the impact of unfortunate events or risks, and it 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 manifests itself in different ways for both games. Um, and one of the last times we played, no thanks, um, I had accumulated two or three yes sets i cannot believe we let you get that but it, it was at a thing where it's like if the cards that i and I, ultimately the way that it ended i was able to merge all three of the sets together into one listen to him brag everybody he but, didn't know the 17 was going to come out or did he but exactly that's the point is like that i could have had the it worked out awesome and it could have just as well been a disaster I'm going to go look and see if there's like black Sharpie oh, on are. the back yeah, of that I've, 17, I've labeled a little all. sticker. I've labeled them all. <laughs> but it um, worked. Yeah, and it yeah. worked, and it was like it was one of the only times that's ever happened in playing that game. But the fact of like, well, I'm I'm in I'm in this far already. I just have to go and, and, and pray that it works out, and it, and it did. But when that card gets flipped over and it's like, oh, that's the card. Like, that's awesome. The same way that when you're playing Take 5 – and somebody plays a card before you, you know, they play a lower number card. And then all of a sudden there's these moments in the game when you've got your card, you see what the other players flipped over and you start resolving that one. And then you're like, oh, wait, this is blowing I can up. move right over there. No, let, well, it, let, well, let them crash. Well, that's either good. <laughs> sometimes it's good. Sometimes I feel like a lot of times I feel like I'm in the Hindenburg and I'm watching it slowly crumble to the ground where it's like, Oh no, that card's gonna go there, which means I'm taking this giant pile of cards. Too and soon, I, Doug. Too and soon. I thought, <laughs> and I thought I had played a good card, right? You know, and you're right. like, oh, and everybody else at the tables is laughing, and it, and it's fun of like, all right, I know exactly where this is going, and then the whole board changes, and you're like, guess it wasn't going right. there. That risk management is it? We talked about it. Is it an Oatami? What's the name of that card game where you're building a garden? Yes, Ohanami. Ohanami. Thank you where there can just be a huge jump, right? And, and, and th there's a risk of of not making a move, of being too cautious, being yeah. too prudent. And I, I enjoy that in the card games where it, all of a sudden it will go from 11, and, and I'm thinking, okay, I have a 17 in my hand. I'm going to put it in there. Doug, why'd you throw a 52 down? Now yeah. where do I go? Where do I go with my 11? Yeah. Oh, I'm stuck. I've well, got to pick them all up. And same thing in no thanks of – um. I don't think they're going to take that. I'll add a chip. It will come back around to me. And, oh, man, they took it. What do I G do now? guess I'm never filling yep. that gap in again. Yep. The, the other thing, too, is when you're you're playing cards out in, in take five is there's there's also the, the moments where 
there is a 75 at the end of, of, of a, of a row and I've got the 77 and I'm like, surely this will be the next one. And somebody throws a 76 <laughs> down and you're like, how is that possible out of 104 cards that that's getting disrupted? Yeah. And it's like, those moments are, are worth it. And the, the, the quick, the fast turns, like I said, getting up and, and playing it. And to me, Go ahead. Yeah, and then just two other skills that that lead to that that are built into the game. You have that decision making that's happening on my turn, but also through observation, watching what other people are doing. That's informing the decisions that I'm going to make. Sometimes in a good way, and sometimes oh, I'm just stuck. And those are the two other skills that in both of these games, no thanks and take five, you are brought into the game right away. I get to make decisions. I'm watching what other people are doing. Now, I have not played a 10-player game of Take 5, but I, I, I so I can't say that the slowdown or this or that. You I know, also I don't know if I would want to. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know either. But in the smaller-ish games, you know, 2, 3, yeah. 4, 5, uh, that decision-making and observation is really critical and just has a very nice flow to the game. The game moves. I enjoy the downtime of both those games because I'm invested in what other people are doing. Yeah, I think these are great games, and some of the reasons I really like these games is that they're a perfect fit for after dinner and holidays and things where you just got people kind of milling about and it's like, hey, let's throw this down and let's play a game. And they don't require, like, you can play no thanks. People can be talking about other stuff. There's not. But the games are so fast moving that, for the most part, people are engaged. They get, And they're memorable. They right? get sucked in. The experiences are memorable. I mean, I have memories of playing no thanks with my parents and just, you know, these are non-gamers. They're getting excited about, oh, I'm got, I got to take it. I ran out of chips. I'm taking this 33, <laughs> you know. And but they would remember how to play with a quick review, yes, as well, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but just those kind of games where it's like, no, I'm not getting ticket to ride, you know, it's harder to get ticket to ride to the table after everybody had Thanksgiving meal, you know. But this is something that's like, all right, let's play this, let's let's get it out. So it's a, a perfect game for that, that has such a low barrier of entry, works with gamers and non gamers. Um, I think the only thing that potentially to be aware of is that there are bad things that happen to you in this game, these games. So there could be hurt feelings. However, ultimately it's always come down to me of the um, atmosphere of the game. Yeah. And, and, and the way that if, if you're the one introducing the game and, and GMing this is uh, if, if everybody is, is nose to the grindstone, I am winning at all costs. Yeah, you're going to have hurt feelings if you're playing with a well, seven-year-old. Well, and if you're playing with... Uh, yeah, thank you. You said it. I should have just let you finish it. You know, yeah. if, if you're playing that way with a seven-year-old or if you're having fun and it's, you know, it's just a game, yep. I, th- I think the atmosphere around the game can mitigate a lot of that type of sore loser, I that, you know... Hurt, hurt feelings, I guess. Yeah. So uh, where's the best setting or fit for these games? Or uh, do you have one where it's not the best? I, I guess I think it's almost a universal. If you're playing family games, yeah. both, uh, you know, Take 5 and No Thanks are great additions to the day. Uh, and if you add in another game, you know, like a What the Cup or a Just One, another, you know, different type of 
word game, moving, flowing yeah. activity. Like, you're going to have a lot of fun. These are yeah. two card games that can fit into an entire day. And maybe I'm just thinking because I recently came off of a, a, a little convention with my seven-year-old um, that I didn't know was going to happen, but great games that work. Yeah, well, and you think about some of the other um, card games that that you play with a traditional deck, like some of them can run quite long, you know, and 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 be a, an investment of time. And the idea to get that type of feeling point, of, of sitting around and it's like, you know, I'll play euchre with my brothers, and 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 we have a good time. And it, but there's like no real, you know, you have an ending, but it just is like maybe <laughs> kind of kind of monotonous, just kind of going through the motions. It's like, oh, great, you you know, you got to ten, you got to thirteen, yeah. that type of thing. Where this is like, yeah, you're gonna be done in twenty minutes, a half mm-hmm. hour. You're gonna get that same type of uh, relaxing card game experience with. Uh, the exciting elements that don't really pop up in a lot of traditional card games either. Um, so I, that's why I think it's just a great, um, great set of games that that have similar feelings. You, you know, you're trying to go low. Um, um, yeah. I, I, anything else, Michael? I, I just want to add. You know, Amigo Abroad does a whole lot of things. We're talking about Amigo North America here, right? Just yeah. wanted to draw that. And on that note. A big thank you to Corey Delmonto, who is on our Publisher Spotlight series. Amigo recently ran a contest giveaway, and this thank you is coming from one of our listeners. They wanted to make a special point of saying thank you for sending me Dice Hunters of Therion because they also threw in a bonus game. And I thought, boy, yeah. Amigo knows what they're doing to win over customers, and the, the bonus card game was an awesome one. So, a, yeah, good game. And yeah, and something we'll be talking about in the down future that, the road. So that fits in the part that's two. That's why, yeah, you got it. That's yeah. where I was going. That's why this is Amigo Games Part 1. No thanks and, and Take 5 are two, two awesome games. The School of Gaming. In the School of Gaming, we discuss concepts, keywords, etiquette, and helpful ideas in the world of gaming. Once in a while, we get a little snarky and cynical. This week, we're <laughs> going to discuss the most useless parts of the hobby. Doug, <laughs> yeah. lead us into this segment. All right. Well, I've got uh, a, a lot of mine have have questions after them, which I'm I'm opening up to the idea of whether they're useless or not. Okay. I don't know that I, I, I don't know if I came up with any, <laughs> some of them are very snarky, but I don't know that I came up with anything that I can s- definitively say is useless. I didn't have any, do you have any hard and fast? No. Like I'm a hundred percent on this. Um, a controversial one. All of mine are controversial, I guess. Um, the first one I have is hype. <laughs> is I think is a is a useless part of the hobby. And I think one of the things that may go along with that is about 1,500 games per year. Oh. It's like if we have 3,500 games a year, quite frankly, we probably only need 1,500 or 2,000 of sure. Like there are 2,000 extra games coming out a year that are completely unnecessary. Is that crazy? No, keep going, keep going. Um. You're you're not the first one that I've heard make that precise statement since Gen Con. <laughs> I, I've I've heard I've heard that. I mean, I, the amount of games that fall through the crack are immediately forgotten about, 
or for whatever reason didn't catch on, they just disappear in the oblivion. Yeah. And the amount of, of stuff that's gone from, okay, this week it's $60 and five months from now it's $15 and a year after that it'll be 10 and it need it's gone. Sure. So it's like there's part of me that feels like as much as everybody is is aiming after everybody wants the next ticket to ride, everybody wants the next Catan or Wingspan and selling millions of copies. Um, so it's like I understand why that's out there. And obviously it's it's nothing that could be <laughs> controlled or that that there needs to be some authority that's approving what games get published or not. I'm not suggesting that, but just as a whole, when you know that only so many are cutting through. It just seems I feel I almost feel bad for the amount of work and effort that's going into making two thousand games a year that nobody's ever gonna hear about. Yeah. Um so that's my first one. How about you? <laughs> How about you? Oh, I I'm I'm I thought you were gonna go a little bit deeper and meaner right off the I have nothing to say to that other than yeah, I, I agree. And Sometimes I wonder, is it just because I want to play all the games? <laughs> and and I, I love to play games. I love to play new games. But then other times it's, no, there there is some saturation that's starting, not starting, but that, that's present in the market when you have yeah. that many um, titles. It's not... Uh, and that's not Different even... games work for different people, but boy, it, it, is, it is a lot. And it's, it's not even a, a thing. I'm not even saying that like, games are bad that don't need to be made. I'm not even saying yeah. that I, I'm not taking the approach that's like, well, 500 out of those games are just horrible garbage games that should never be made. I'm not saying that. I'm yeah. saying that every game has an audience and there's a reason that people are putting that much time into it. Yep. It just almost seems bad that that many are being ignored yeah. and, and will disappear. And, and two years from now, it's a a top 20 list maybe of games that are remembered and stick around. And even after that, the the games that were in the top 50 of the year are, are in the top 50 for this year. And then they'll be forgotten about and disappear. Yeah, I get that. I am at the same time. I don't know what the solution is. I am happy that there's oh, we not, don't have to come up with solutions. <laughs> I'm happy that there's not a, a censorship board that it's no, this game will not get made. Yeah. You need to get, Government approval first from the United States of America or another North American Reiner country. Reiner would only have ten games out. Oh, that's a sad day, Doug. <laughs> yeah, uh, mine is very different, but my first one is: I think it's useless to put time on the side of the box. Mm. I, I think I am past the point of where I ever look at that. Well, one, if I pick up the box and if I need a second hand. It's very likely that that thing's going to take longer than an hour to play. Yeah. But there are other metrics on the box and from looking at the box where it's not a great indicator. Now, I do like having time listed on Board Game Geek. So I, I understand the, the inconsistency there, but I would like the community to be able to weigh in on the time because time on Board Game Geek is one of the metrics that. The publisher sets, and you cannot go to the poll to see it. Um, and I, I just don't believe what I see. I almost need to be able to play it uh, or or listen to a reviewer that it, I trust say how long it took them to play because there's other things than just the gameplay. It's yeah. getting it out of the box, set up, and put back in the box. Um, so that's the one for me. Yeah, I th that, no, that's a great one. I mean, the idea of... There's so many different facets of that where it's like simply 
how much time does it take for me to open up the box and not only set it up, but like, how long does it take me to punch out all the tokens and get everything organized to start just that's a good one too. To, to even get ready to play. So it's like, there's a time commitment. Then I need to learn the game and, and, and then set up the game and then play the game and then put the game away potentially. Yep. And so the idea of like, there's a 60 minute game that takes 20 minutes to set up a half hour to teach and 15 minutes to put away. Oh, and it has a Ferris wheel in it too. So you really need to make sure that that doesn't get broken up. You know yeah, what I mean? Or, yeah. oh, there's a big pirate ship that you're going to have to assemble and it'll take you three hours the first time. Unless it's me, then it's 12 hours. <laughs> I only took three hours to learn the game, but the pirate ship. And so that's the part. And, and it seems like a majority of them are based on, okay, we play tested this. And after 400 play tests of me knowing the rules inside and out, like the back of my hand, I can get this game done in 20 minutes, put that on the side of the box. Or when, yeah, when you see 15 to 75 minutes and it's like, okay, so it's 15 minutes per player. What am I looking at here in this two to five player game where I ran into this a lot uh, in the, what year are we in now? In the 2022-2023 school year, did a, a board game club and I it was just wild at the inconsistencies. It was like, no, I know I can get this game up and running and have it put away and get it going at a table and have another game at another table. And yeah. I had games in there that were listed at an hour. Like, this is not an hour game. Yeah. Um, so that that's it's just almost the like one for me. Like if there could be an independent, I don't know, even know how you would do this, but some sort of independent group that's like, we've played enough games where, you know, or, or balancing out is like, if you're a beginning gamer, this is going to take you 75 minutes. If you're an experienced gamer, this is 45 minutes all yeah. day, every day. Um, I don't think you'd ever be able to get it standardized, but it's or like, just open it up on board game geek and let the community weigh in. I do appreciate the ones. I think the ones I appreciate the most are the ones that break it down by player per player. Yeah. Because that's... I think those tend to be the most accurate. Um, at least of, yeah. unless you have a set number of rounds with simultaneous play happening, you know, it's like there's there's every variation, but it, it does seem like that is so loosey-goosey of, of what they're actually, you know, it's like, well, it really takes 75, but we want to put 60 on the box for marketing purposes right. because that's going to turn people off if, they're, if it takes too long. But no, that's a great point. Um, my next one is going to be potentially the most controversial, but I, yeah. I, I think this is based on, um, years of experience. No, it's just, it's, it's, some people will agree on parts of it and some won't, but the idea of expansions, mm. um, strong disagree over here, depending on how you play games. Um, so I am in a situation where I have bought a lot of expansions over the years and they hardly ever get played. And when I'm teaching a, a, a game, even if it's a game I love that I have the expansion to, there's not a lot of them that I'm throwing the expansion in right from the start. And there's not a lot of games that I am, um, uh, you know, playing the game so many times that I need the expansion Yeah, that when I was first in the hobby, I'm like, Oh, I love this game. Why wouldn't I want more of it? And we had just recently played a game that was not an expansion, but it was essentially a, a I'm not going to say the name of the game, but we played a game that was a, a reskinning of, yeah, of a a old game, you know, that you could play same gameplay kind of, but with some different things. And we played it and I'm like, I don't know why I would ever need to play this 
when I just have the original, sure. I'm just going to play that one, even though, like, I'm not going to play the original enough to require me to need another game with the yeah. same type of thing. And that's often how I feel about expansions. Now, that being said, I'm not saying, like, I have expansions. Yeah. Like, clearly, I have the Marvel United expansions. I have expansions in my thing. I'm not saying that, um, that that's universal across the board. But it is something that I feel like people need to do a better job of evaluating their own gameplay experiences and what they're actually playing with games to realize whether they do need them yeah. or if they are part of the hobby. And like, we're on different sides of the expansion aisle on this because where I sit, my side of the aisle, if I'm going to play it solo, I want those expansions because I want to be able to mix things up. But that's but exactly I, my point is but, you are aware of it. Well, I hope so. <laughs> that that's, that yeah. is my point. It's not that saying the idea of it's, it's completely useless for everybody. Yeah. It's just knowing when it's useless. But like, I get your point. Yeah. If you um, kind of know when, when to go there, not to go there, are we just going to keep going? Uh, go ahead. Crossfire yeah. here. My, the, the next one for me is gatekeeping and it is on, on both sides of, of, the coin. We don't. We try not to do it here at the Game Schooler podcast. But the idea of gatekeeping of being, well, you're not a real gamer unless, mm. or no, that that's not actually a board game. I where I've noticed it more um, the in in the recent times. Uh, you and I have gone on quests for Lorcana, and I have noticed in in the in trying to find it at different game stores. Some are very friendly and open, and inviting. And others are, well, that's not a real game because we play magic here. And, and just seeing that, um, it's had me also listen to the other side of the, well, you know, they just play magic. Or, well, those are the the Warhammer guys over there. Yeah. And just being, uh, that that's kind of opened up that level of awareness just for me. Yeah. It's something that I think I have unintentionally done some of that in the past where I'll put the Warhammer folks off to a different, different area, you know? Yeah. Uh, and I, I do run up against this anytime where I'm in a game store for an extended period of time. So if I'm mm -hmm. doing a game day at a game store, I'll, I'll, I'll see it. Yeah. And, um, you, you know, my, my 14 year old, uh, is I'm not gonna say guilty of this, but we we've had some interesting conversations about this when we were at Game Hole Con, you yeah. know, and and so that's just one thing in the hobby. I hope I don't get to a point where I'm well. You're actually not able to sit at this table. This is for the experience for gamers. Re real gamers. Uh, please go get my pipe tobacco over there <laughs> so that I can chomp on this for a bit while I mull over the finer points of my role. Yeah, I, it, it's just something that I. I would put it in the useless bucket and I hope that I don't step into and I'm, I'm kind of calling my future self out here a little bit. All right. I agree with that one as well. Uh, another one that I've got is the idea of promos for games. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, I think about, and the two things that make it useless for me is like what it does to completionists and like the idea of like, oh, I've got to have that or the, the, the rarity Type of thing is like, well, I, I was, I knocked over 12 people with my game bag to get that at Gen Con because <laughs> I raced through the aisle. Like, I, are you talking about me going to the Lucky Duck booth just to get that Flamecraft promo? <laughs> I feel a little called out here. To, um, I, I did not have the board games bag on my back. I was no, carrying it on yeah, my right shoulder yeah, yeah. for the record. <laughs> um, 
but just that like kind of weird there is a weird culture of 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 promos and convention promos and it's like okay if you're at the convention and i stop at the booth i can get that or i can pay five dollars to board game geek or and it's like these weird things that are like lingering out there that have it goes from kind of cool to weird quickly too I'll just add in for for me it goes from oh that's cool to oh they they were really assertive trying to get a second promo for their their friend who's not here or are they gonna flip yeah, that on a little of, eBay right now and I cannot think of a single one that is relevant to any gameplay whatsoever like yeah. you're just adding one card or one thing like I've never heard I've heard people say. Uh, you know, that expansion just makes the game so much better. I've never heard anybody ever say that promo really fixed the game or it really made it awesome. Or it's like, I'm mm. so glad I have that promo card. And then the the frenzy around it sometimes just yeah. is, is kind of crazy. I think, do we really need that? Like I get the marketing tool of like, yeah, I want somebody to come stop at my booth, but it just, Seems like a weird, unnecessary part, but interesting. Next for you, yeah. You better mark this moment in time in case I get a little mean here. Um, so you're gonna it, gatekeep, <laughs> yeah, a little bit. I have an issue with it's not that it's useless, but I do have an issue with folks who I'm not gonna say like us, but you know, if you're a podcaster in the content creation world. And then you're working a booth for a company and you're not really owning that. Like I saw some of that when we were at Gen Con of how can they give a review when they're working at that table over there? And I will say this, you got to pay the bills. So, hey, if I were 15 younger than I am, years younger than I am, and if YouTube was the way that I, I made rent, uh, I, 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 I get it, but, oh man, did that rub me the wrong way? Seeing that at Gen Con of, uh, I ran into it more than once. I'm yeah. like, oh, Hey, I watch your show and you're working here. Yeah. I'll take my games that I pre-ordered. Oh, that's weird. I don't feel good about the review anymore. Yeah. Uh, and, and I've, I've had a hard time knowing where to put it and how to articulate it, but it's something that, that, you know, I'm, it just it's uh, I don't well, know, Doug. I got I got a little issue with it. Well, I I in the same way of, of a self defeating area, I I put reviewers with a question mark. Mm. It's just the idea of reviewers. And, that's us. So and oh, I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <That's what I'm laughs> Are we useless? Come on, guys. L- like the idea of and 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 everything on my list is essentially that with a question mark is yeah. like is this the almost the idea of not necessarily a definitive statement or that these are useless more along the lines of are these necessary for you yeah right and whether that's the expansions are they necessary for you are you know promos necessary for you and reevaluating that and that in the reviewer part is just the idea of the amount going back to the amount of hype that's built up, hoping that we don't do as much of that. Uh, I know I do because I love games, so I'm guilty of that. But we're not hyping it to listeners all the time. <laughs> um, but that that idea of okay, knowing how much you need to know about what the tastes are of the reviewer, yeah, and like how deep of a rabbit hole you need to go to before you find out that the reviewer is relevant or not but i and i i guess i'm going to jump back into mine to just close that out and hopefully jump into what you're saying as well 
I really appreciate when a reviewer, when a content creator owns and says, I'm going to this convention and I'm working at this booth and, and, and let's the audience know, like, here's what I'm going. I'm going to help out with part of business. That's very different than just kind of, well, I worked here. I threw this shirt on and go over there. I throw that shirt on. And that's, that's the part of the hobby in the industry that I don't know that, that, that perception making that bias, like there's just something about that, that I, I like to know ahead of time. Yeah. I don't know if I'm making sense now. Like, well, if, you don't, if, you if, don't want to know that, that somebody is being sponsored by a certain company and therefore they are, um, giving them, uh, you know, if, if just on a, a number scale, it's like, if you had no relationship with this company, you would give this game a five, but because they're giving you some financial backing, you're giving it a seven, which doesn't mean necessarily it's in a great, amazing game, but you're not but telling not people, five. Yeah. telling people that you didn't really care for it. Yeah. That's a problem. I don't know how you ever find that out. No, I um, know. I just complain about it here in the school of gaming segment, you know, but yeah. it, 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 falls under those things of where it's, is it, is it useless? Is it relevant to you? Yeah. You well, know? and the reviewer question, I, I learn a lot of games by watching reviewers and you know, they, the, the people will sponsor folks to, and they have the Patreon and I get all that, but yeah, it's, but, it's a tricky one. Well, from time it, to time. it's a thing where it comes back to where is it useful for you? Yeah. Not necessarily that the whole thing is useless, but the idea is like if you're going into a reviewer and yeah. saying, I'm going to listen to 100% that they're saying, wrong approach. Yeah. Thank like, you for positioning that question mark for me, Doug. <laughs> I'm sensing sarcasm. No, no, really. No, uh, that, no, no. I would, no, if it was sarcasm, <laughs> I would have layered it differently. And very thicker. thickly. No, that, that, I, I think that that's, that's helpful. There was just something that I was kind of struggling with and Gen Con was crazy. I'd never been there before. Yeah. You know, so we were in the mass of, they say 70,000, more like 130,000 people. Uh, and just, there were things along the way that I'm just now starting to settle in on and reflect on. Well, and, I think sometimes like, like I listen to podcasts and consume YouTube media for, for board games and stuff. But I find more and more that it's like it's less about the opinion and more about the cliff notes of what that game is about. It's like there's a theme interest, you know, the things that we talked about, what attracts us to a game. Yep. It's kind of gleaning that information out. And the amount of times that I've gone and played a game, loved it, gone back and looked at the review and be like, I couldn't be further away from your opinion on this. Yeah. And and that being fine. But then coming to the realization is like, yeah, I need to put stop putting so much stock in what what other people are saying about some of this stuff. Yeah. Um, I don't think you've come to terms with your reviewer. <laughs> you've oh, I know. 100%. A, you've played yeah. so many games and that that's, that's part of it. Um, but, I, but I don't think I'm, I'm hoping that people are not taking what we're saying as, as gospel of the be all end all of, I mean, they will when we do our top 50, of course. Um, <laughs> I just, that's what I was thinking. Like, well, actually what we're setting up is, you know, but uh, uh, good stuff. the other thing, the last thing I've got on my list is you're going to laugh when I say this and I've got a caveat for it is that unless it is a collectible, valuable game, sleeves are useless. I disagree. I know you so would. much. I I have I I cannot name a single unless I was uh, had a library in which people were checking out games. But from my personal collection, and I'm I'm saying I have sleeves, so I'm yeah. I'm saying 
this it's it's not necessarily going to stop me but if i step back and i say how many games have i played to the point that the cards have been destroyed because i didn't have them in a sleeve the answer is zero Wait till Doug opens up his copy from Deducto that was at the McCabe house for the last two <laughs> well, weeks. I would buy a new We're one. We're about to get Wait an for the second printing. Uh, <laughs> you know, but like, uh, if I'm being, again, this. Yeah, no, this, it's a good point. This, it, this whole podcast is a struggle section it, for me to. Sleeves question mark? To, to or, or analyze. question mark sleeves? I think that the, the biggest thing about this podcast, and as we've gone on for 144 episodes, is the coming to terms with who I am as a gamer, how I game, what I need, what I'm spending my money on, and all of those things of, I don't know if it's the idea of we're in this position that people are listening to what we're saying, that I feel like I need to be more honest with myself and the choices that I'm making. Yeah. And that when I first got into gaming, and, and certainly as, as you game and uh, you you're spend more time as a gamer and you're life changes you're in a different season and and when i first started getting games it was like i spent 20 dollars on this game and i need it to last forever it's my hard-earned money yep and i need to protect it at all costs and I'm, I'm getting sleeves and i want my games to be protected and perfect and then you have a kid and you unwrap the game and they pick up the box and it falls on the floor and it's got a giant ding in the corner and you're like I guess I can't yeah, like we'll I need settle. to we'll still play it. I need to stop <laughs> and step back from that museum curation, which yeah. I think when I first started was like, this is my pristine collection and I need it mint and it needs to be perfect. And I want it to last forever to be like, yeah, that care card's got a bent in it. And it's yeah. like, I'm not going to chastise my child and we're going to play and that's this where game. You put sleeves as well in that same vein. Yeah. yeah. Is the idea of like, Play the game. Yeah. Like, and if you've played, it's like sometimes people, like you look at the cost of sleeves and again, I'm throwing magic in a collectible card game or something You're like where You're just talking about invest. tabletop board games. Got yeah. It. The amount now of, I'm with you. the amount of time that, and the amount of money that you are spending on sleeves, in some cases, you may be able to just buy another copy when this one wears out, assuming you're not, you know, I, it's like, I don't have sleeves on shadows over Camelot. You know, should I? I don't know. Next like, time I, I smoke a brisket, I'll I'll bring it over. And, yeah, uh, just plop it on the table. It, on the Show table. me how juicy let's, it is. And the, let, let's play shadows on that God, same look, table. Look at the juice when I squeeze the brisket, how much juice is falling. And we're going to play shadows right here. <laughs> uh, so I don't know. That's my last one, sleeves. Yeah, I don't have anything else to add. You can close it out with sleeves. All right. So there's our, our useless <laughs> parts of the hobby. We'd love to hear if you have any parts of the hobby that really um uh I was looking for a nice little colloquialism but that that you take umbrage with or issue yeah. or that you think ah oh, this is useless and and again everything that I brought up in, on my side is, is almost everything with a question mark after it is like are these I don't know sometimes I think they are sometimes they aren't and There's, mine were definitive I'm yeah, not open to yeah he's a jerk different. he can't you cannot debate him <laughs> Argument settled. So those are the useless parts of the hobby, according to Michael McCabe. If you're anything like us, you're constantly on the hunt for new games to try out. And this week, we're going to be talking about our high five games with mundane themes that seem to work. So the idea is, 
Uh, we talked about um, last week, we said we were going to be doing the weirdest themes in our collection. And as we were looking at it, it became clear as like, these are games that if you boil down their theme and actually explain them to somebody are so uninteresting and mundane. Yeah. It's like, how did somebody make a game out of this? You're standing at church. You're, you're talking to somebody like, what's the coolest game you played lately? And this game comes to your mind, but you're too afraid or ashamed or embarrassed to actually say what it is because well it's this it's, it's this real awesome game about the United States Postal Service. <laughs> I can tell by your initial face that you're just itching to play it. That that type of thing um that happens when you you try and boil it down it's like gosh and 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 Michael and I coming to the realization that if you've been to a convention if you've been around gamers outside of, of, of a gaming space, we as a group have the ability to turn anything into a game and are happy with it. So as I'm looking through this, <laughs> that's my, my list, Doug, anything that I'm like, I was looking through my collection and games like, Oh, what's that? Uh, you know, we got to try and get the most colorful unicorns on the horses as fast as possible. Perfectly normal. That's on the list. Yeah. You know, that's normal. So, like, the amount of things I was I going through. for me. The amount of games I was like, oh, that's normal. That's normal. It's like, no, this is not normal. <laughs> no. This is a, a, a completely different realm. So, Any caveats? I've got no caveats. And, in fact. I uh, tried to keep it to one Phil Walker-Harding game and one Reiner Knizia game. Those are my only two self-imposed caveats. I, I have no caveats, but I do have something interesting that all five on my list have been games of the week. Oh, that's great. I've had that happen once or twice before. I can't wait to hear them. Well, I'll lead us in. I, I typically will lead us in, on, especially on the odd numbers here. And this is an odd one because how do you describe before the guests arrive? It's a, a now gamers will know because ooh, it's a Sashi game that hasn't quite made its way over to the United States yet. Well, I'm intrigued, but no, you're tidying up the house better than anyone else in the family. Nailed that, that's it. The BGG <laughs> description, but it is cool because if you get those combos with, you know, if, if grandma does the tidying over here, it's a nice and it's a nice little card game. Is it a ladder take a ladder <laughs> game or a trick taking game? You have to play to find out. But that is definitely my number five. It's a you can play it with a seven year old. It's fifteen minutes to get it done. Two to four players. Cool, cool little game. It's not super available right now, but I do have a feeling and just in reading what is out there in the forums that at some point somebody in North America will pick it up. And there are, yeah, not a ton available for trade. So I'm not trying to create the hype or juice the hype, but that for me is definitely one about mundane. And I went through a heck of a Sashi phase back in 2020, 2021. So. I feel like I need to get the rules to this game to see how I can adapt it to real life. Like get my kids like guys, whoever cleans the most efficiently and does the best job cleaning before Thanksgiving, you win. It's actually pretty darn close. You just, <laughs> you just did the rules teach. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, my number five, uh, we talked about in episode 65 and it's not one that originally jumped into my, my head of like, Oh, this would be a good one. But as I was going through my games and thinking about, okay, what really is this game about? The idea of getting people posed in a picture. Oh, that's great. How did I not even think of that? <laughs> so the, the, the game is picture perfect, which is essentially about how can I get the people, you are a photographer trying to meet the demands of, of the guests at the party. 
and some of them want to be hidden, some want to be standing um, next to other people. In order to score the most points, you are trying to make the take the best picture. And it's like, I think about taking family pictures, you know, at, at holidays or weddings. It's like, they're the worst. Yep. Like, uh, Molly, can you look at the camera? I'm over here. Look at your dad. No, not at the ground. Look at your dad. Doug is you not speaking about his wife to our new listeners. That's his youngest child. Just want to <laughs> yeah. bring our new listeners up to okay. speed so yeah, people uh, don't think that we talk about our spouses mi- that yeah. way. M- middle child, I know you're trying to make the, the, the youngest child laugh, but I just need you to focus on me. Grandpa, grandpa, over here. Yeah, know those faces. So, like, the idea of that being a game. Really good rules teach us tonight on the... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's my number five picture perfect. Oh, that's great. I... I had to pick an Uwe Rosenberg because who does mundane better than Uwe? Uh, I, I thought about Agricola for a moment, but I went with Bonanza because how, <laughs> do, you about, how do you talk about uh, we're, what are we going to do in this game? No, no, trust me. You start out with two bean fields, and, and if you play your cards right, you'll get that third field. Hey, gamers at the table, you want to get there first. Get that third field first. But in Bonanza, you are farming beans, and the, the cool thing about it is is that the cards have to be played in a specific order. Uh, Very, very mundane. Yeah, I'm a fan of the 1997 version just because it has some sentimentality to me. Uh, I love the coffee beans, love the jumping beans. Um, And that's that's my number four is Bonanza from 1997. Uwe Rosenberg and guess the publisher, Doug? Amigo. Yeah. Yeah, that was on my honorable mentions. I, I just think of the idea of like, all right, kids, we're going to play this awesome game. No, believe me, it's awesome. It's about bean farming. Oh, and my wife loves that game. And we <laughs> haven't, we've, we've not played that with our full family because we can't get the two youngers to play it. You yeah. know, we'll play it three player. We play it with uh, when friends come over and that that's a good one for me. All right. My number uh, four, we talked about in episode 62 and this is a game, uh, when I describe it to you, is what we're actually doing in the game is we are going to be city planners picking out the numbers that go on the houses in the subdivision. Ah. It sounds exciting, doesn't it? Do we get it? to flip cards? We do. Oh. It's a roll and write called Welcome To. And every time that I've been presented with this game or, or was it shown off at a convention before I knew what it was, nobody ever told me that. It's like... <laughs> the, like that was never in the cell description is like, do you want to play a game where you number houses? Yeah, no, I'm going to keep walking. <laughs> and it was like, oh, it's this great new roll and write game. You got to try it. And then I'm everybody sits down. Okay. I'm turning around. It, uh, and it just, it's a great phenomenal game, but essentially what you're doing is numbering houses, making this cool subdivision. Um, and that's what it is. So it's a, it's a, a flip and write game. You're flipping over cards and you're, you're essentially trying to to get numbers in ascending order without skipping gaps to to make little number combinations of houses. Theme maybe could have been anything. I don't I don't know what else it could be, but off the top of my head, but just the idea of like, yes, let's be city planners. Oh, this is going to be great. This has just got a great hook. Uh, so that's Welcome to, published 2018 by Deepwater Games. Yeah, that's great. Doug. Designer Benoit Turpin. No, that's great. And I, I had a really good experience of playing that with my middle kiddo. We don't play a ton of games together, but that's one that, um, you know, people of all ages can gravitate towards that. 
uh, numbering of houses. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. My this is my game of the week contribution. It's from episode seventy-eight. I'm scanning to see if we have Not crossover. My, nope. All right. Well, Doug. How about we take Fire care of some up. house plants? Ooh. And they have to be indoor house plants. This is planted <laughs> a game of nature. Wait for it. And oh, I screwed it up. Nature and nurture, but now, Phil wait, Walker Harding. Do I get to water the plants in this game? You do. Uh <laughs> burying all these games on our games of the week. Planted though, it's a fun game. Yeah. Don't lead with the theme of watering plants. Instead, Take the cover off of the box and let the components and the art and the name of the Rockstar designer sell it because it, it, it is a. This game has so many things that I think you like and I like about games: just the efficiency, the competition, uh, the, the flow of the game. Yeah, it, it's a cool little game, but I would not tell people that. Hey, on this Saturday afternoon where it's raining outside, we're going to take care of our house plants. What? Nope. Fooled you. We're playing planted. <laughs> we're, we're, we're doing it analog style. Um, so that's my number three. All right. My number three is one that um, is probably mundane to a lot of people, but is actually something that actually drew me to the game. And Michael, we are going to curate our own collection of museum artifacts. And we're going to we're just going to Sorry for the heavy breathing of the yeah. microphone. I just got really excited. Are they art paintings or are they museum artifacts? Uh, I did the original museum artifacts. Mm. We're going to just collect these cards and put them into into our museum and collections. Uh this Did Vincent Dutrait do the art for the game? He did. All right. Now I'm, I'm back in. in it. Beautiful game. Uh this is museum. We talked about Museum Pictura in episode 98. Museum came out in 2019 from Holy Grail Games, Eric Dubois and uh Olivier uh, Mellison. And the artwork is awesome. I love history. So this is a theme that excites me. But as I'm thinking about it, and, and this was one that was on my short list, which was Ex Libris, which mm. is a similar type of thing. It was like, we're going to build a library collection yeah. and you're going to put the books in order. <laughs> but there's some books that you don't want to add to your collection. Those type of things is like, you're trying to get this awesome collection of artifacts from the the Eastern Orient, and it's just going to be delightful. We uh, have such a strange hobby <laughs> because gamers know, like like you yeah. said, you can make a game out of anything. Yeah, and it's like, oh, the artwork is amazing, and I really love what, what I'm doing the card What play. is awesome about Museum? Because you, you have this. You've had it in your collection. First time I played it was your game, and, and you and I both are fans, and I, I own Museum. Uh, the the art version, yeah. But the teller listeners, I mean, it's 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 an awesome game, and it's with all of these games where it's like once you get into the mechanisms and are actually playing the game, it's it's those type of things married with the artwork, how it looks in the table. Suddenly, it's not mundane anymore. Now no. I'm invested. I'm going to have the best museum here, and it's yeah. going to be efficient. I'm going to have yep. the awesome South American artifacts, and I'm going to have to give up stuff, but I hope I don't give up too much. And Michael's going to be stealing stuff out of my collection. And the give and take and and the way that I can, you know, suddenly the idea of how can I get all of these um, artifacts into an exhibit transforms itself into how can I make this longest continuous pass so my visitors can see all of these in a single row and I can get maximized points. Yeah. Like those little elements that make up the whole. But when you say it on a, on a thematic level, like, would you like to put these artifacts in order so people see them in a delightful way? 
yes, sign me up. I want to play that game. So my number three is Museum. That's awesome. Uh, how about picking up board games? What Does that sound like a, a fun theme that you could get into and organizing them? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> how about, uh, you know, not just board games, but you also have to pick up your cats, your books, uh, and plants, house mm. plants. So this a little bit of recency bias here, but this is my shelfie. Our friends at Lucky Duck published a, a co-design, wait for it, Phil Walker-Harding and Matthew Dunstan. So two rock stars. But here's where th- this is up to two for me. It has a Connect Four mechanism where you're drawing these tiles off of the table and putting them in your little bookshelf, which looks like a, a Connect Four. And when you drop them in, you get to choose the order, but they all go in the exact same uh, column that you drop them in. And I was surprised at how long it actually took my family to get this to the table. Um, we had it in our house. I had it on our next up shelf for over a month and I was, I couldn't sell it. I could not sell it on anybody. <laughs> I had finally with my seven year old, after we just played a whole slew of games, I said, we're going to play one more and you're going to love it. It's time and for daddy's game. It is. And I'm so glad that we did play it. For any folks who are on Board Game Arena, it plays really well on there. But, boy, I, I enjoyed it even more because uh, of playing it in person with my kiddo, how the scoring works in I, – I shouldn't get too deep into it, but talk about a mundane theme. Um, but the game is also so tight. You have just master designers – and you want to pick up and organize? No, you you want to play my shelfie? Yes, please. <laughs> um, so that's my number two is my shelfie, uh, Phil Walker Harding, Matthew Dunstan, and picked up by Lucky Duck Games here in North America. All right, my number two is: Would you like to walk some dogs? Um, that, no, just mine. <laughs> that that is the game uh, we talked about in episode one twenty four, Dog Park, which is when you boil it down, is a game about getting dogs into your kennel, and taking them for walks. The fun comes in 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 acquiring those dogs and the abilities that they have and getting the toys and treats to get them to go out into the dog park and and getting them on the leash and scoring points, and it's all the stuff around it. And this is one of those that the artwork is amazing. It's set up on the table, and yes, you can attract uh, folks that love dogs to this game just by awesome artwork and, and things like that. And the, the mechanisms are really cool. And the artwork shares, uh, a, a strikingly similar to wingspan. And so if people are interested in that game, they might get into, to dog park, but just because of the art. Yeah. The art and the way that it looks at the table and it's got cool mechanisms. It does all the things of all the reasons we love about it. And we talked about in episode 124, but when you, Boil it down to that basic thing. What are you doing? You're taking dogs for walks? Like, what? How is that a game? And it's not a race game. Like, yeah. so like how fast can I take? It's either how many dogs can I take? You would you would think that the, the game is going to be who can take the most dogs for the walk or who can take their, their dogs for the walk the fastest? It's like, no, it's none of those things. Yeah, it's really can I get to the <laughs> spots that I need to get to to be able to satisfy the dogs that I'm choosing to walk this round yeah can i outthink the opponents across the table to ensure that i get the dogs that i want but not spend too much of my victory points there's yeah there's so much going on in that game that's a ton of fun and and it's probably a little bit of a mundane theme yeah yeah, yeah. and certainly cool. certainly dog owners who do have to take their dogs for walks like 
uh, I'm good. No, you know, speak for yourself. It's a highlight of my day. <laughs> I, don't, I, I, don't I, I to, love my wife. I don't need to do that again in w- a fake world. Worst part about winter in Wisconsin is that my, my walks decrease with, with <laughs> Howie. All right. Um, we're up to number one already. Yes. Can you guess the designer? Phil Walker Harding. No, I no, told you. Reiner. I only, it's Doctor, Reiner. Doctor. It's Dr. Uh, Reiner Knizia. Folks, I have a theme for you here. Get ready for it. Money. That's the name <laughs> of the game. 1999. Uh, you are just trying to collect different currencies. Uh, the first time that I played this was, I should actually look up the log, log play of it. It was with Doug several years ago now. And when he described the game, I can remember the <laughs> side eye I gave him across the table because I'm a huge Reiner fan. He's like, no, just just trust me. We're going to play this game. You're trying to collect different currencies. Um, the board game geek flavor text is outsmart the market to maximize your portfolio. So you know that the Reiner uh, put that in himself and won't <laughs> allow anyone to write anything differently about it. But, Doug, help me out here a little bit. What are you doing in money? Uh, there are... Uh, currencies, uh, two stacks of currencies out uh, with different. Uh, you're, you're collecting you're, as many as possible. Different right? types of currencies. Yeah. So you're, you know, you're getting English currency, United States currency, that type of thing. Are different denominations of those types of currency, and then each round, everybody is placing a bid with currency out of their hand. Whoever has placed the highest bid is then going to choose to either take any other player's bid or one of the two offerings at the center of the table. And then whichever one they take, they swap basically swap bids with. So then my bid is now out there in the middle for whoever bid the next highest currency to take. Um, it gets kind of convoluted when you get to the scoring. There's this weird thing you like have to meet. There's this, a Kinesia mechanism. A, in there. a threshold for to actually start yep. tabulating points. But yeah, the idea of saying like, we're going to, I'm going to throw out these cards that all have different denominations of currency on them, and we're going to try and collect them. And it's been around since 1999, so there's 12 different publishers currently on Board Game (laughs) Geek at the time of the recording. By the time this airs, there could be a 13th and 14th publisher. But it it is a fun little game. And it'll be called Cash, and it'll be named by (laughs) somebody else. No, now you're going too far. (laughs) Uh, So that's my number one. Talk about mundane theme. You you can love it. You can hate it. You can be great with it. You can be terrible with it. But to just describe, we're going to collect different currencies? But then when you get into the game and you start playing, there, there's there's a fun factor to it. Yeah, my number one, I had to put on the list because it is one of my favorite games of all time. And it is, uh, it's not the super awesome game that is about putting birds in habitats. No, this is just a game about watching birds. Oh, yeah. I'm going to say, we're going to play a bird watching game and everybody says i'm good but now i think you're you're being mean because i have friends who are bird watchers but carry on Uh, but average folks (laughs) um the 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 most the mass i want to say amount of ornithologists but i might not have correct tell the folks the the name of the game uh you are correct with that term uh birds of a feather we talked about in episode uh 114 the current version that's out is birds of a feather the birds of north america or North American birds, I believe. Western North America, yeah. Um, published originally in 2015. The current production is by Snowbright Studios, and Teal Fristo is the designer. Uh, but it is a, uh, a kind of a, a, a tracking game with 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 almost like a trick taking element to it of shedding cards, and you're you're playing cards out, 
and you are seeing every card that's also played that's in the same habitat as your card. Yeah. And so you're trying to mark off all the birds that you can see, and then those birds linger in that habitat. So if I play another card, um, I also get to see uh, on the next turn, I might be able to see birds that are lingering from the previous turn, and eventually they disappear and that type of thing. And so you're trying to play out cards so you can see the 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 most valuable birds, the rarest birds, and keep your opponents from seeing those as well to try and complete uh, full sets. And it's a, a simple, fast game, but I love that yeah. that decision of, of trying to outthink your opponents and when to play the cards and knowing that I have a card that is is the rarest bird in that habitat, how do I play it so the least amount of people can see it so I can prevent people from getting their full set? Um, yeah, there's a sense of control and a complete lack of control at the same time. Yes. And the game changes with player count. Very different game if you're playing with two than if you're playing with, with, with more than two. Yeah. So that's my number one, Birds of a Feather. Uh, just That's awesome. A theme recommendation that, that doesn't get a lot of immediately, yes, let's do that. Mm -hmm. It's not like one of those where you're like, all right, we're going to build a, a theme park. Let's sit down. Everybody's like, all right, roller coasters, yeah. let's do it. No, let's watch some birds. Um, I've got a couple of honorable mentions. One of them, Get On Board, mm. is like the... <laughs> The original title, Let's Make a Bus Route, uh, <laughs> sums it Again, up. Again, Sashi. Perfectly of like, ugh. Uh, Morels, which is hunting for for mushrooms. And I also had Bonanza and Ex Libris um, on my list as well. Any honorable mentions for you? No, I didn't bring any honorable mention. I, I'm a little ashamed, though. Get on board would have been a good one. I just think that that's not mundane. Traveling around one of the big cities, that, that just gives me a little bit of panic and anxiety <laughs> just hearing it. I don't think about that as a traveling game, <laughs> yeah. though. No, that's I, a good point. The idea of let's... Let's make let's a bus, make a bus route. route. Yeah, no, I, uh, but I could only put one Sashi game, so yeah. I chose the tidying yeah. up one. Uh, to our longtime listeners who've been listening since the front end of the show, I did pull some stats. Uh, thank you, Board Game uh, Stats app. I couldn't do the math from Board Game Geek. Ten different titles and 38 plays on Friday <laughs> and Saturday morning. So Impact Battle of the Elements, No Mercy, Yummy World, uh, My Shelfie, Uno, Ninja Master, uh, pick a pepper, just a ton, a ton of different games with my little Eliza. So awesome. Get out there. Oh, I jumped ahead a little bit. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, subscribe to the podcast. If you haven't already, uh, that we appreciate that anytime that you can do that, um, and increase our listeners. That's awesome. Follow us on X at game schooler. You join our discord gameschooler.com slash discord next work next week, next work. Um, we're going to be talking about trap words, central boards versus player boards and breaking the law games. Yeah. Thank you so much for spending the last hour or so with us. We truly appreciate it. Now get out there and keep gaming.